Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm joined by Ella Yelich O'Connor, otherwise known as Lord. She's a two-time Grammy Award winner and a gifted singer-songwriter. Now, on the heels of two hit records, Pure Heroin and Melodrama, comes her third album, Solar Power. It's currently available wherever you buy or stream your music. This is a snippet from a song titled Fallen Fruit, off the new record. Solar power doesn't sound a whole lot like melodrama, but then again, melodrama didn't sound a whole lot like pure heroin. In the eight years since Ella started releasing music, she's had this ability to pivot, to try something new. Many chart-topping musicians fear this change of direction, while she seems to embrace it. Solar power, as you'll hear during this episode, is inspired by everyone from George Harrison and the Eagles, to MF Doom and All Saints. Beyond the music, we get into her childhood in New Zealand, her early literary influences, why she got off social media, the way she catalogs time, how she processes people through songs, some wisdom from Patti Smith and David Bowie, and a whole lot more. Before we get into it, I'd like to thank Grace Perkins for additional research on this episode. I'd also like to thank many of you probably listening right now. There's this whole vibrant community of Lord fans that have created a virtual archive of her work and her words. And without it, this episode would not have been possible. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here. And now 
Here is Ella Yelich O'Connor, or, you know, Lord. I don't usually just have plain hot water, but we were told that's what you like. I mean, I I drink water of any temperature, I think. (laughs) Someone just said, like, hot water for the lady. Someone said that? So embarrassing. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm really a very low-maintenance person. I don't know where this all comes from. This is (laughs) low-maintenance. I bet George Saunders was a real pill. (laughs) Did you listen to that? That man is an angel, of course. And he was impressed by your researching. He's so cool. We can all learn something from him, you know. I think from such a wonderful, sensitive, bright person. I'd love to be taught by him. I felt like I was being taught by yeah. him in that episode. Yeah. Ella. Hi. Hi. <laughs> we don't know each other. We do now. <laughs> we do. Thank you for coming to Highland Park to do this. Not at all. Thank you for having me. Can we just start with how are you feeling right now? <laughs> I am feeling kind of new in a weird way, like sort of fragile and open and brand new. I think every time you put something out, you know, you're sort of erasing the slate. I feel that at the moment. Do you like the new feeling? (laughs) I do and I don't. There's so much trepidation (laughs) in your voice right now. Well, it's vulnerable, you know, and you sort of say goodbye to something private that you've been living with, you know, and then it becomes other people's, which is always weird. But I feel pretty good. I think so much time passes between my releases that I feel like I grow so much as a person. I understand what's happening a lot more than last time. I, you know, was like 21, 22, and it's just all very intense. Now you're 24, going to be 25 this year. That's right. Is it strange to revisit those past selves and talking about this record? No, I'm really acquainted with all of it, I think, because when you become a public-facing person, I guess you are, like, populating in the world with all these past selves and you're in conversation with all of them all the time, so it doesn't bother me too much, but it is funny. It's funny thinking about, like, when if you think about yourself at 15 or 16, <laughs> imagine that being the past self that's like in the room most of the time when you meet people. It's mm-hmm. kind of gnarly. <laughs> yeah, it's true. If you walked in here and were like, I remember reading your film criticism at age 16 that <laughs> yeah. you wrote, I would be mortified. It's raw. For this record, I wanted to start with like a prologue that I think makes sense for the piece. Um, this is a passage from How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. Somewhere in the line of history, Civilization has made a wrong turn. A detour that had led into a cul-de-sac. The only way they felt was to drop out and go all the way back to the beginning. To the primal source of consciousness. The true basis of culture. The land. Do you feel like that is a kind of mission statement for this record? You closed your eyes while I was reading that. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. This book has had a huge impact on me and and on this record in ways that I don't even fully understand yet. Like that sentence, there's something very resonant about it, but in reading about that culture of dropping out, something else resonated with me, which was this idea of utopia and sort of searching for this place that will hold you. Being from somewhere like where I'm from, you know, you think about that a lot. But there's also that Thing of this sort of authenticity that's being searched for, this like real deal that I think we're all kind of <laughs> keeping an eye out for in our wild times, you know, and I think while I may have thought I was making a record with that as the mission statement, what happened became something quite different. Like I'm from paradise and it's still very much a flawed, real play. So that was sort of the mission statement going in, then you make it and it's like, well... I'm somewhere else. This book was really helpful for me because I found myself basically writing love songs, but the subject was the environment or a place or a like the sun doing a certain thing. And so I was sort of like, what's happening to me? What am I what am I seeking? <laughs> so this book sort of helped to clarify some of that for me. But 
I still don't, like a lot of it I don't know. I do think that I know now that what I made is a sort of balm, you know, it's definitely in conversation with the experience that I have had of coming to this country in the very specific circumstances that I came to this country and having this like very specific, very privileged experience and yeah, having this desire to get really far away from that. <laughs> Love it. No hate to the experience. You can have some hate. It's okay. I haven't read anything about any of this, but I've seen a couple of headlines that are like, how I survived teen stardom. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, when you put it like that, you know, it sounds like I think of this as some hardship. It's like, could not be further than the truth. They have a very cushy existence, but it is strange. I know you seem careful to talk about that in a way that's too dramatic. You'd be surprised the things that people get upset about <laughs> or offended by, you know. What do you mean? Well, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to think, oh, I don't like being in America, for example, or I don't like being online or whatever it is. Like, I just have very specific experiences in the world and they need to, like, ricochet in the opposite direction. But, you know, when you did come to America... Your first performance is in Manhattan, and you're performing for a small crowd of people. It's your first American audience. And at the time, The New Yorker's doing a story about you. And after the show, The New Yorker journalist comes up to you and describes a man who was <laughs> watching your show and, and made a comment. Do you remember this? Do you want to fill I in the rest of this? <laughs> One man turned to another man watching me at Le Poisson Rouge in New York and said, lots of zeros <laughs> about me, about my brain. <laughs> it is specific. <laughs> How did you feel about that? It's insane. I think at the time I was like, oh, you know, I'm more than a spreadsheet. I'm, I'm this big brain. But I'm both. And that's the thing. As you get older, the better I integrate all this stuff, the easier it is to understand, but the more... It all makes sense. For a lot of time, I didn't understand why my life had been changed in this way. I didn't, couldn't make sense of what had happened to me. But, you know, now I can see that I am someone who pays a lot of salaries. And I'm also this, like, deeply private, shy, <laughs> weird person who likes to sit in studios alone, you know. And those things, are they coexist. My part of myself who spends time in America and is you know, at ease with the customs. It's the same person who goes home and, you know, doesn't wear shoes for a long time and like doesn't get recognized by anyone has this very mellow time, so. I, I should have offered, you know, a space you could take off your shoes if you need to <laughs> in the studio. Yeah, no, thank you. I like a sandal because you're like in but you're out, mm -hmm. you know? If I showed up with a sandal, you'd think, what's wrong with this person? I actually think a sandal would make perfect sense with you. Really? You've got like a shoulder-length hair, <laughs> do, you know? You're good on a sandal. I don't think I even own a sandal. Oh, man. Get amongst. I can send you some links. <laughs> please, please. Ap after this. So part of this record does seem to be about this transition from teenager to adult. And I know the last one came out. Late adolescence. Yeah. <laughs> you said, I had to ask myself, do you want to keep being the kids? Or do you want to transition through that and be something of an elder statesman at 24? What does an elder statesman look like at 24? I think it's just this thing of not being the moment anymore. I think of what I do as being sort of slower and less like spiky and big. There's a period of time as a young, particularly a young, I don't know, famous artist, I would say, where I had my finger on the pulse in this way that like I knew everything that was happening culturally and I knew every sort of nuance and tone and executives would text me and ask me, what do you think of this, you know, other person's decision around this certain thing? And I would be able to say, you know, it's this, it's, it's right and here's why, or it's cool, you know, it's cool, it's uncool. And now I have much less of a grip on that. I don't really know how people are perceiving things you know I don't I don't know if that person's decision was cool or uncool or you just looked at me like I was an alien when you said that <laughs> it's it's a new thing for me and it's something that I'm adjusting to it's definitely in going into putting out a record not 
being online, for example, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know, it's going to be amazing. Like, I'm not going to read any things that like hurt me or like have to bear witness to all these people who like deeply misunderstand me. But it's also kind of isolating. I have, I've missed the positives. And I definitely was like, get rid of it all. Like, don't have the criticism and don't have the people gassing you up and telling you all the shit, you know. But yeah, it's, you, I missed that. But the social media component of all this, it seems like overwhelming for you at a certain point. It wasn't fun anymore. I felt the like addictive portion of it in a big way. I felt the like ideological pressure. Yeah, I was just wasting a lot of time and and like spoiling my brain in a weird way. I had to tap out, but I don't miss it. But I do miss that that connectivity a tiny bit sometimes. You can only get so much from the Times, you know? <laughs> the New Yorker. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> something else. <laughs> I mean, you do have this community that I know, like emails you mm. on your website mm. that seem... They're amazing. <laughs> yeah, they seem fanatical. And, they blow and, my mind. They're so cool. What does it feel like to kind of grow up alongside these young people. Do you ever think how kind of unique of a position you're in in that way? Mm, Yeah, I do. And I'm able to step in and step out of being someone with, I always hesitate to call them fans. I don't know why. I'm like, we just have this like common interest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's part of why I got off social media is I was like, I can't feel like I'm like a king sitting on top of this pyramid of bodies, you know, like I want to feel like one of the stream, but they're amazing. They're so sweet. They really blow me away. Like I get these long emails from these kids and they're like sending me these beautiful photos they take on walks and telling me about their lives in this really personal way. And I know this is, like every famous person has this really, but it does strike me, especially when I, you know, I'm able to be so removed from it. And then I like log into this email and there's just so much real precious stuff coming at me (laughs) it's massive you know people giving themselves or a portion of themselves to you yeah totally and I wasn't really that kind of kid who had like maybe I had authors who I really loved I wrote like two fan letters to authors as a kid but I'm imagining you writing fan letters to like Kurt Vonnegut or Tobias Wolf yeah oh man I I was thinking about Tobias Wolf actually listening to the Saunders thing I actually I'd love to have coffee with that guy. <laughs> you should do it. He's like 72. Go find him. I'd go anywhere. <laughs> I think he's he's a huge Solar Power fan, I'm sure. <laughs> Imagine. You never know. <laughs> you never know. That's true. I think the power of your music, especially for the people that you're talking about writing these emails, is that it finds them in a certain moment. You and I don't know what that moment is. They share some of it with you in an email. And one song that, that's kind of been sticking with me from the new record that I want to listen to together, I think describes this search for the right path, which is what you've been talking about in the first 20 minutes here. So if you don't mind, I thought we could listen to it. Down, sure. Okay. <laughs> Let's play Stoned at the Nail Salon. I love this life that I have The vine hanging over the door And the dog who comes when I call but I wonder sometimes what I'm missing Oh my heart, blood's been burning for so many summers now It's time to cool it down Wherever that leads Cause all the beautiful girls, they will fade like the roses How'd you feel listening to that? <laughs> I mean, so many things, but I almost have this feeling listening to that. You know, when you eat like lots of sugar, you kind of have this like ache 
this regret. It's like I had that, but. Like Sour Patch Candy. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) We don't have that where I'm from, but I had that feeling about scrolling the internet (laughs) when I was making that and just like looking at what everyone else was doing and being like, have I made this huge mistake? I'm just at home, like growing stuff and, you know, raising my dog. Like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, it was a real moment where I knew I could not return. You know, I couldn't go back to going to like parties on Sunset or whatever. I just wasn't sure. (laughs) But now I'm like, it all worked out. It was fine. I love my life now. (laughs) You have this line about this song. It was truly the first time that I had entertained the notion that the sexy models on Instagram who made me feel inferior, they too will age. We're all on the same bus. At some point, we have to get on the bus back. You know, you say it's the first time you've had these kind of thoughts, but I feel like you've been thinking about aging for a long time. (laughs) You're right. About an hour before you turned 20, you wrote a Facebook post. And I have some of it here, if you'd like to read it. Wow. I haven't thought about this in ages. Okay. I was 16 when most of us met. Can you believe it? I laugh thinking about that me now, that glossy idiot god princess of her childhood streets, handmade and ugly and sure of herself. All my life, I've been obsessed with adolescence, drunk on it. Even when I was little, I knew that teenagers sparkled. I knew they knew something children didn't know, and adults ended up forgetting. Since 13, I've spent my life building this giant teenage museum, mausoleum maybe, dutifully, wolfishly writing every moment down and repeating it all back like folklore. Wow, yeah, I mean... I don't know why I've always been so fascinated by aging. I think, like, it is due in part to the period of time we're working with and, you know, 16 to 24, like, (laughs) you're doing your most aging you're going to do, right? It's just happening, like, month by month. And I think definitely when I was 15, 16, I thought about it a lot. You're going to get old you're getting old you know (laughs) and old was like 18 (laughs) whereas now I I sort of relish it I'm like go faster get old (laughs) I feel like uh I know how much I learn with every year you know so I'm into it but I know it is a funny facet of my work I used to talk a lot about I would say to people you know this is going to be on my tombstone so we need to (laughs) It was very clear to me that, like, you are what you, you know, make as an artist. Like, that my output is who I am to a lot of people. I am not just my Wikipedia page. Yeah. I know that about myself. But I think as a kid, like, I was such a student of pop culture and I just knew what was cool. <laughs> I still know what's cool, but now I just want to be happy and live a beautiful life. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, cool is less important. <laughs> Basically... What you're trying to say is, Ella is not the sum total of Lord. Yeah, yeah. But I think as a kid, I thought, like, good heart is is as fine a thread as you can possibly make, and everything on one side should go into the other side, and it's all much of a muchness. But now I'm sort of like, I have this whole section of myself over here that is private and doesn't, isn't on the tombstone in the same way. There's also this undercurrent of fear Mm. around aging. Mm. Why do you think you had that? I'm the kind of person who, and I mean, this is so obvious based on my work, but I'm very drawn to very, very strong feeling, you know, whether it's sitting in the sun somewhere or being somewhere at two in the morning or being somewhere very specific with this person. Like my, I feel like a bit of a collector of all these tiny moments of really strong feeling and part of why I write pop songs is because I want those moments to live forever because I think like when you're a teenager your whole life is those really really indelible moments of strong feeling and then expressing trepidation around getting older I was scared that those would be scarce but really it's it's almost the opposite I (laughs) I feel like those moments are more available to me the older I get Mm -hmm. that museum of memories that you're talking about. I think one really vivid, strong feeling is about this ginormous house party that you throw. (laughs) 
that turns into ribs. And I know it's a song that people have fallen in love with over and over and over again. Do you want to listen to a second of it? <laughs> sure. Take it away. Okay. I think it's a good song. Thank you. Yeah, I, I like the song a lot. Yeah. yeah. I know it well. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like you do. But definitely better than me. But I haven't listened to it in a while, so I'm excited. Okay, well, you can thank me later. I was having two simultaneous thoughts then. First one was that, like, wow, I really have been um, filling rooms with people to try and understand. <laughs> a lot of pure heroin was just me standing in the corners of parties trying to make sense of things. Melodrama was literally an album written about that experience, but maybe I was a little deeper into the party, on the dance mm-hmm. floor perhaps. And Soul Power is kind of having a house full of people, but... You know, the doors are open now and you're outside and it's a different sort of energy. So that was like one thing I was like, wow, this is so, how consistent I've been doing that for so long. But my other thought was, I was like, ah, 2021 me would have touched that snare. Snare's hot. And I was like, I guess that's that's why 2021 me isn't allowed to make the music that, you know, it wouldn't be the same beast it's like so raw mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny that i was like oh i, I tucked that in the mix <laughs> you're not allowed ella <laughs> that's how it works <laughs> i expected that you would have some <laughs> mix notes yeah <laughs> how, how could you not but it's pretty it's a pretty song i think you would be disappointed in yourself if you didn't have notes from a song <laughs> you made that long ago it's cool it's cool to think about the choices you make as a as a young person like yeah, I was a much different producer than mm-hmm. what I am now in so many ways. Just now you said on Pure Heroin, I, I stood at the corner of the party and watched people. Melodrama, maybe I danced a little bit. Solar power, the doors are open. Do you feel like writing about people helps you understand people? So much, yeah. Because I'm so shy. I'm so introverted. I find, used to be this sort of in-joke in my family almost, I would... The thought of having to go next door to a neighbor's house to ask them for something or flag a waiter down and have a conversation, like, those things would just grip me. I could not. Yeah, I I do think it's helped me to understand a lot. For a long time as a young person, I felt very isolated from other people. You know, I'm very comfortable alone. I have a rich inner world, my... (laughs) therapist would say. (laughs) You're laughing at that. (laughs) It's funny to invoke therapy in the podcast. (laughs) It's par for the course here. (laughs) We'll be right back after a quick break. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility. 
meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. There's such an unusual juxtaposition, which is that you're a shy, introverted, anxious person. And yet, by the time you're 16, you have the good sense to watch Patti Smith relay a quote by William Burroughs, who told her, Build a good name. You know, keep your name clean. Don't make compromises. Don't worry about making a bunch of money or being successful. Be concerned with doing good work and make the right choices and protect your work. And if you build a good name, eventually, you know, that name will be its own currency. There's this anxiety about being a 16-year-old and a fear of talking to a waiter at a restaurant. And yet, you knew even then to listen to that wisdom. How? It's that tombstone thing again, you know, of <laughs> your good name being all you have. I guess in some ways like that, to have to go outside of one's comfort zone, like it's in search of that, it's only because it's that high stakes that I was able to do it, you mm -hmm. know, because I was like, I can't live with myself if this isn't tombstoneable, so to speak. And I, I do think about that all the time, I think, because I find, like, performing on a TV show, for example, that's, like, scary for me. I'm very aware of, you know, that's history. <laughs> you can't erase that moment. But I try and think about it like this is in service of a really big, bright, beautiful life that fears in service of something like that. And I have to remind myself of that all the time still because everything 
is scary to me. Everything public is. <laughs> and yet I do it. Why? I really don't know. It's, it's, I, <laughs> I ask myself all the time. You, I mean, the thing You make I, it sound like it's a jail sentence. No, no. Well, the thing I love doing is like making the work. That's what I live to do. It's my favorite thing to do. It's play for me. I get to play because I make a record and I tour it and I make a bit of money and that pays for the studio to be available to me for two years nonstop. Like these things, I can't live in Candyland forever, you know, as cozy as it is. And for me too, like I have to make it. I almost feel like I have to do things that test me or that are difficult because I have such a tendency to stay in a place of comfort and a place mm-hmm. of safety. So every four years I'm like, look, bitch, you'll be back on your couch in a few months. Do the damn thing, you know, pay the bills. <laughs> Make it so that you can go back to the studio and they'll leave you alone for another however many years. Mm-hmm. And it's it's good for me. I'm just imagining you in the mirror doing that speech. <laughs> Honestly, kind of. I wrote out that Tarantino quote. You know, they they say that thing on his sets. It's like take 20. He says, we're going to do it again. Why? The whole set has to say, because we love making movies. It's really easy to forget that's the kernel of it, you know? So I, <laughs> my version of that is obviously because I love making music. When I'm in a day where I'm talking to like 18 people and trying to get them to understand this like spiritual transcendence that <laughs> happened inside me, you know, and they're like, okay, sure. <laughs> I'm like, this is because I love making music. <laughs> All of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then why don't we go back to the source? I have something for you. <laughs> okay. The monster researcher. <laughs> He's here. He walks among us. <laughs> I can't totally tell if you're just making fun of me. But no, it's really impressive. I'm just Sam. I'm not a monster. <laughs> no one's ever called me that. Except, <laughs> except George. Except George. I think it was a massive compliment. And it, it's a compliment from me also. Well, thank you. It was a compliment from him. And I will have to forward him this tape. <laughs> I want to go back to the original music video for Royals. I've never seen a diamond in the flesh I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movies And I'm not proud of my address In a torn up town, no postcode envy But every song's like gold teeth, grey goose dripping in the bathroom Bloodstains, ball gowns, trash in the hotel room publish this music video, I really was quite moved by your description that you wrote, and I have it here, and of course I'm going to ask you to read it. <laughs> okay. It's funny to read something you wrote as a young person in your like current adult voice, you know? So, um, lately I've been waking up at 4 or 5 a.m., turning things over in my head. So much to think about, so much to break down and process and decide. I'm only at the beginning but it has always been important to me that everything feels cool, feels right. The song means a hell of a lot to me and to others, and I guess what I tried to do is make something you can understand. A lot of people think teenagers live in this world like skins every weekend or whatever, but truth is, half the time we aren't doing anything cooler than playing with lighters or waiting at some shitty stop. That's why this had to be real. And I'm at that particular train station every week. Those boys are my friends. Callum's wearing a sweater that used to belong to me. So it all feels right, and I can sleep. Thanks for being with me all the way so far. So much to come, such great heights. I'm just getting started. Enjoy. Jesus, this is crazy. She was reading, she was looking into the future. Mm -hmm. She had the tea leaves. She had the tea leaves. (laughs) 
eerie. It kind of freaked me out. Isn't that wild? I did just know, like, even at that age, I knew that I was making something that felt vital and that, like, it was going to have an effect on a lot of people. I just knew that. I, I don't know why. I think because I was, like, an avid enough consumer of pop culture that I was like, this is what I'm not getting. This is what isn't. I'm not being spoken to in this way that I want to be spoken to. And I guess I figured... If someone was doing that, other people would get that too, you know. What way is that? In a way that wasn't infantilizing, you know. No one, I don't know, in 2013, there weren't really like cool young people talking to cool young people. I had Tavi, you know, Rookie, that was huge. And that was very much like a, a little zone that taught me to be able to talk to young people the way I can talk to young people. But that was it, you know. Apart from her, there was a big gap there, I think. People didn't understand yet the power of... Talking to your audience on social media. So for the most part, famous people's social media were run by their teams. And it just all felt impersonal. I could see the trick. I was like, eh, just talk to me the way I would talk to a friend of mine, you know. It was that simple. And I guess other people, other people got that as well. But I don't know where that comes from. I do think that I came from a family where, in particular, my mom was like, you're a genius. You can do anything you set your mind to. I just had that sort of, I, both my parents, but my mom in particular was like, you can do it all. <laughs> You're a genius. Which <laughs> is a crazy thing to to say, but, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It is crazy, but it's no less crazy than your mom being a renowned poet, <laughs> giving you her thesis <laughs> that she asked you to read at age 14. That's a very certain kind of kid. I edited that thesis, her master's, and she, she got the highest grade. She did so well. Not because of my fucking editing, but. It was fun to be a part of something like that at that age, you know. I knew where the commas should go. <laughs> this is all also very much to do with being raised in a house where words had so much power. You could do anything if you could harness words. That's like the greatest gift I could have been given, I think, because I believe that too. It changed my life, being able to sort of bend words, the shape I need them to take. Yeah, it's like really a confluence of forces with someone like me. It doesn't just happen. It's being in the right house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything has to be right for it to happen. Earlier in this conversation, you said you used to think a lot about why things happen to me and, and why they've happened to me. And I'm thinking about the night that you meet David Bowie. That's not something you could have predicted. But now that he's gone, how do you remember that evening? It was really quick, like it was just a couple of minutes. I don't know how much it would have stayed with him, you know, but for someone like me, having someone like that look into my eyes and hold my hand and communicate that I was on the right path or that they could see me, that's huge. And I think about it with Bowie. I think about why someone like that was so, such a North Star for me. I'm a big fan of an artist called Hilma F. Klimt. She's like this really amazing kind of mystic and she received these paintings from the divine and like I think she described herself as a holy transcriptionist a technician for the unknown and I think of Bowie as being that a technician for the unknown and that's sort of what people in my position have to be I think that's what you have to think of it as being for people you know you're trying to take these beautiful or terrible events and this is like a Ben Lerner (laughs) paraphrase but integrate them back into a form of meaning for people you know but we did that like almost no one else and so yeah to be just acknowledged by someone like that was huge and it really and might have come at a moment where my sureness about what I was doing was flagging a little bit and just sort of imbued me with this faith. Keep walking that way. Bowie sees you and he thinks you're doing all right. How could you not keep going after that? I know. It's the best. As we leave, is there a song on solar power that you want people to sit with? Or, I don't know, a track that feels musically like a Bowie kind of pivot for you? To be honest, it's the last song on the album, Oceanic Feeling. I wanted to make a song that sounded like where I'm from and had all this really specific stuff about me in it. I talk about my dad and about the point we jump off into the lake where he grew up and my little brother having a car accident and having this concussion and feeling so angry and me trying to comfort him in that and 
also just this feeling of like being held when I go back to where I'm from and why that is. And it didn't feel like I was going out on a limb or anything, but when it was done, I was like, wow, that's something that's as true a picture of who I am as anything I could make right now. Well, why don't we listen to it? This is Oceanic Feeling by Lord. Silver chain, levitate when you're kicked. You know what I mean though? Like at this point, cool for me is is that. History, family, just seeing everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's nothing cooler. <laughs> I don't know if it's cool, but it's cool. <laughs> Since you've listened to the show, you know that I like to regard this space as a kind of time capsule. And if you and I are to do this again, whenever you make the next record. I would love that. We should make this a tradition. We'll make it a tradition. <laughs> In the interim, where are you at right now today? And what do you want for yourself in the years ahead? Today, I think I'm just trying to keep moving on the path that I am on, that I've been on for a long time. I think that newness that I talked about of feeling around kind of releasing something, it's like New Year's Eve or something, you know, it makes you reassess thing I should be doing? Am I moving in the right direction? When a lot of people are talking about you, and if you are, (laughs) you know, in their professional opinion, moving in the right direction, that is a time when you question it, I think, but I know that I am. And so I think today I feel the the voices a little bit, even though I don't read them or listen to them. (laughs) But I feel sure that I'm doing the right thing for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the years to come, I don't know. I I guess my main thing is that I'm going to try, I thought about this recently, I was like, you got to try not to get too comfortable. I like to be really comfortable and I like to rest. I'm very luxuriant with my leisure time. So I'm going to try and put the pedal to the metal a little bit in whatever way, whether that's learning a language or spending time somewhere I don't normally spend time, Mm -hmm. you know, just trying to keep it spicy. In 2016, you gave an answer to that question. Oh, God. (laughs) What did I say? No one asked you. You just wrote it. Wow. It's a deleted tweet. (laughs) Never thought I'd say that. (laughs) I'm going to uh, give it to you now. (laughs) Wow. When I'm old, I'll befriend the neighborhood kids and tell them stories and give away all my, by then, vintage Chanel and Dior and Prada, all the shoes and bags and delicate silks, the jewelry all the art I've collected in my life, all the books signed by my heroes. And the kids will draw on the shoes and unstitch the logos from the bags and bend the jewelry into different shapes with their hands. The art will lean against a wall in a student flat somewhere, and I'll smile. That's really profound. (laughs) I wrote that on Twitter? Wow, I like that. I still put a lot of stock in that approach. I think that's beautiful. It's what it's all about, you know. You can't get to, uh, my tickets are going to come along and, What's that Elvis Costello thing? Make a brand new thrill. <laughs> I look forward to that. And part of that elder statesman thing that I jokingly, you know, talk about is you got to be open to <laughs> kids coming through and taking your shit, making it their own new cool thing. It's what it's all about. Well, I thank you for opening the door. And whatever is next, I'm here for it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Anytime. I'll see you in, what do we think? <laughs> three to three to seven. Listen, it could be like eighteen months. It could be like <laughs> eight years. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. 
that's our show. Special thanks this week to Kristen Foster and the team at Full Coverage. I'd also like to thank the good people at Universal Music. And of course, Ella Yelich O'Connor. Her new record, Solar Power, is available wherever you buy or stream your music. To learn more, visit lord.co.nz. That's lord.co.nz. If you enjoyed today's episode, you'd probably enjoy past conversations with folks like Janelle Monet, Brittany Howard, Ocean Vuong, Gloria Steinem, Jenny Slate, George Saunders, and Miranda July. You can find all of those and more at talkeasypod.com or wherever you do your podcasting. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TalkEasyPod. To join our mailing list, drop us a line at TalkEasyPod at gmail.com. And as always, our executive producer is Janixa Bravo. Our associate producers are Caitlin Dryden and Nikki Spina. Our lead editor is Andre Lin. Our editor for today's episode is Clarice Guevara. Our assistant editors are Eve Gershon and Joshua Siegel. Additional research this week by Grace Perkins. Our illustrations are by Krisha Shenoy. Video and graphics by Ian Chang, Derek Gaberzak, Orion Wong, Ian Jones, Isabel Primavera, and Ethan Seneca. Special thanks to Patrice Lee, Kaylin Ung, and Callie Syringus. Our engineer is Tim Moore out of York Recording here in Los Angeles, California. And the show is produced by Caroline Reebok. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you back here next week. Until then, stay safe and so long. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts.